Welcome to the Biohackers Live Show. My name is Teemu Arna and I'm your host tonight or today, wherever you are watching this. And today's show notes are going to be at biohack.to slash surge. So biohack.to slash S-E-R-G-E surge. Faguet is our today's guest. So uh, I'm going to run a little trailer here. So so you get to know our guest in a, in a, in a moment. So Serge Faguet is a serial entrepreneur. He is behind companies such as Mireya, Ostrobok, and Talkbox. He has raised uh, venture funding from some of the top-tier venture capitalists. Uh, so he's a serious technology entrepreneur. He's also a diehard biohacker. He's very keen to have better energy and mood and focus and happiness and confidence, willpower, intelligence, health, and longevity, uh, according to his terms, um, while he's running all these things that he, he loves to do. Uh, his hobby for the past five to six years has been to achieve the above-mentioned attributes. By hacking the body and mind through science, he has some really, really interesting and deep articles uh, on Medium. You can check... Um, uh, that's where he's blogging, and hackernoon.com. Um, he has this famous article where he's describing how he spent 200,000K on biohacking and became calmer, thinner, uh, more extroverted, healthier, and happier. Uh, that's super interesting. It's not just interesting, it's also controversial. So I guess part of that is why he calls him uh, extreme biohacker. So... Let's run the little trailer and call in Surge for our next segment. Hey, Surge, how are you doing? Hey, guys. How's it going? Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Absolutely fantastic to have you finally. So you've been around the world. I mean, we didn't have the opportunity to connect until now. You've been behind some pretty shaky connections. So what have you been up to for the last couple of weeks? Um, I, uh, so I'm a, one of those digital nomads. I live all over the world, part of the time in Silicon Valley, part of the time in Russia, part in Mexico on the beach in Tulum, and a little bit in Europe. So I am currently in Silicon Valley, just working on one of my new companies, plus, as always, focusing on my health, performance, and all of those other wonderful things that biohacking helps us get. Absolutely. So how did you prepare yourself for today's interview? I didn't. I always wing my interviews. Hmm. I mean, you must be so busy with all kinds of things. So what is your secret to being kind of always present and always able to uh, perform at peak performance, whatever you get yourself into? Well, so I think I've uh, gotten into biohacking precisely for this reason, because I wanted to be able to be at peak performance a large part of the day and to feel good, to feel energetic, etc. And really, it's a number of things that I think some of those we all know, like sleeping really well at the same time every day and for plenty of time and tracking it, like eating well, not eating sugar, being relatively ketogenic. I take care of my mental health, so meditation, uh, psychotherapy, 
uh, I exercise, so high intensity interval training, various hip hinge exercises and the like. And then I also invest uh, quite heavily into researching my body and my biomarkers. So I have a medical team that helps me track everything that's going on uh, from you know, my lipids to my hormones to uh, things that could be impacting my mood and neurotransmitters. And then I take a large number of both supplements and prescription medications to help me get there. So let me give you a quick example. I track my thyroid hormones and naturally they are kind of in the 35th percentile or so of the human population, which is a little lower than average, but not pathological and healthy. And at the same time, I raise those with synthetic thyroid hormones that are bioidentical to about the 75th percentile. And that generally has a very distinctive effect on my mood, my energy levels, and even the quality of my sleep. So that's just one of the things that I do. Really, my objective is to constantly keep finding new ways to get more performance out of, out of myself in a sustainable, long-term way um, that doesn't disrupt my health, but in fact, enhances it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're doing all these things to optimize your health and also to be able to perform better. And uh, biohacking definitely when it comes to its ethos is, is all about optimizing your biology uh, uh, to, to its fullest potential. And uh, my friend Seem Land, who is an Estonian biohacker, uh, he was kind enough to make kind of a little overview of biohacking and how that relates to the current, current scene. So, so I'm going to run this little uh, video from Seem that he made, and uh, we, we're going to bring on Seem and have a very quick chat on the principles of biohacking before we venture deeper into what Serge really did in terms of uh, getting himself up to the level where he is now. And he has all the data to prove it. And we're going to take a little look about on, on those things as well. So, so let's, let's roll the little video here and, and we're, we're good to bring Seam, Seam online as well. Modern medicine, a bunch of uncontrolled studies, partially biased results, business driven incentives, a bucket full of prescribed pills, and a lot of sick people who aren't seeing any improvements in their health. The problem isn't lack of information or lack of technology. The problem is in misunderstanding some of the core principles of the human body. What's more is that everyone has their lifestyle factors, their genetic makeup, their heritage that all play a massive role in this. In the midst of this noise, there are some quote-unquote biohackers that take matters into their own hands and carry out a lot of n equals one experiments. These experiments include everything from going on low carb, high fat ketogenic diets that alter the body's metabolism and ending with taking different supplements that enhance the person's abilities. With the rise of technology and science, we can learn how the human body works. But more importantly, we can start to understand how our individual physiology functions and what we can do to optimize it. Everyone should be their own n equals one experiment because one man's food is another man's poison. Biohacking is a continuous process of studying and optimizing not only your body, but also understanding the mind, the psyche, and how the individual's consciousness is enmeshed in a much larger communion we call humanity. Technology and biological optimization 
don't make us lesser of human beings. They reveal our true nature and help us to enhance our lives by improving our health, performance and well-being. That's what biohacking is all about. Becoming better humans. As a reminder to everyone online there watching as well, so both Serge Faguet, the extreme biker, as well as Seem Lund, who is a real expert on ketogenic diets and biohacking in general, is going to be at the Biker Summit 2018 in Stockholm on 18th of May. And uh, if any one of you has, uh, has plans to join us uh, for that conference, which is the top biking conference in Europe, we welcome you. And you can use the code FAGUET, uh, so search FAGUET's last name, uh, for 10% off on the tickets on that site. So take advantage of that and you'll be able to, to also hang around with Serge as well as Seam. And I'm going to bring in uh, Seam Land also into this conversation. So Seam, uh, turn on your microphone. You're good to go. Hey, hey. Can you hear me? Absolutely, we can. You have some I'm pretty online. cool glasses as well. Uh, so um, uh, tell us, like, what got you into uh, biohacking? You started pretty early on. Um, for me, it was kind of evolved from, you know, like overall trying to optimize your performance. And uh, yeah, usually if you're in the teens, then you, you simply want to get, get a six pack and build more muscle and uh, stuff like that. But uh, probably after, after, uh, after I graduated from the military, then I kind of got into like the longevity and anti-aging kind of stuff. So kind of put things into perspective more and uh, to optimize other aspects of my life in general, not just uh, fitness. Hmm. So Serge, um, I mean, what was originally your interest into getting yourself upgraded? I think it's a combination of things. The long-term strategic thing is I grew up on a lot of science fiction. I'm one of those people that wants to live forever and merge with the machines and upload in the, into the cloud. In fact, I think that uh, I think of that as pretty much the only thing that uh, uh, matters in my life ultimately. And uh, I was uh, thinking about it, first of all, just from the perspective of, hey, we should be able to upgrade ourselves using technology. And the second component was really, I was working in quite a stressful environment as a technology entrepreneur. I was running Ostrovok, which is now the largest online travel company in Russia. We're gonna do close to a billion dollars in turnover this year. And um, it was very, very stressful. Just there was constant uh, issues that I had to fight as a CEO, et cetera. I just wanted to perform better to feel good in the evening and to study and to have energy for everything that I wanted to get done. And at some point, you know, just very simple things like sleeping more helped me become much more focused and much more energetic. And then I started taking it from there and doing more and more analyses, fix my B vitamin metabolism that has to do with the genetic mutation I have, that kind of thing. And every time I saw a little bit of an improvement, I said to myself, hey, the body is the single system that underlies everything that we do in life, right? So everything, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whether it's studying, whether it's just feeling good, it all depends on your body. So 
as someone with an engineering mindset, I have to say, if one system supports all other systems, then you want to optimize the fuck out of it. That's for sure. That's really yeah, I, I also took the systems view. I started looking at biohacking as a way of seeing the body as a system, almost as a biological computer that can be put under the test, could be understood, could be optimized. Um, what's your t take, Seam, on, on these things? I mean, you are looking very closely on the biochemistry and how that part can be optimized. Uh, yeah, like uh, I, I don't, I don't have like a degree in uh, engineering or this some sort of computer science or anything. I'm actually an, an anthropologist, so I have kind of a different uh, viewpoint on this whole whole biohacking thing. I like to think of you know like uh, biohacking is a, as a means towards optimizing the human body is is like a way of of you know changing or determining what it means to be human you know, like be, be humans human as a species is the only and is the only uh, animal on, on the planet that has you know be able to control their own environment and they can actually start to control their own uh, physiology as well to actually change the genetic makeup or ch change the genetic code in the sense through these kinds of different biohacks so that's a huge privilege in this sense and uh, i also believe like it's also one of the it's actually one of yeah like Sergio said that the only thing that actually matters would be <laughs> uh, you know uploading yourself into a cloud or something like that or to at least reach a point where mankind or humanity has has managed to at least take that much control over the revolution where they you know they at least change some of the aspects of what it means to be human and uh, what it hmm. means to have like conscious experiences as as a species to me, it seems that right now the pressure from our environment and the changes in our environment are are changing much faster than our biology. So if you think about the amount of pollution and toxins that we have in our environment, if you think about the lifestyle changes that have happened in a few, few generations, we have gone basically from being physically active to sitting a lot in front of our computers, taking a car everywhere or elevator etc. And uh, instead of just really having struggle hunting for food, um, it's super easy now to go to the supermarket. You have constant supply of, of uh, calories if you need them. And it seems that all but of these I, are causing I, havoc I think, on our biochemistry. What do you say, Serge? I, I think it is more than just um, fixing the issues with our environment. I think the fundamental thing that we are facing here is essentially compound growth. So, if I can make an investment today that is going to help me uh, have 1% more energy throughout my lifetime, and I can then invest that 1% more energy into studying something new or into further enhancements of my health or into enhancements of my persuasion skills, etc., it seems that it is going to compound over time and grant significant advantages, especially since a lot of the resources that society has is uh, are competitive. So it's about relative ability to compete with other people. So to me, a lot of these things are truly about making investments today that will keep growing, growing, growing my capabilities over time. Maybe that's because I grew up on computer games and I just remember that you're supposed to first build up your economy that keeps generating everything for you. And uh, after that, uh, over time, you can crush everyone else. So I think, I think it's really about that and not just fixing the environment, uh, the environmental issues like pollution, uh, although that is certainly a part of it.
Hmm. I have this brings to my mind like the question: Are we noticing now a new division between people in the different castes? Like you know, there used to be uh, based on income a division, uh, based on uh, social status, or based on race. Uh, a division Certainly. of people into caste. So do you see people who have access to these type of technologies that helps them to optimize their performance at the workplace and, and in life in general, does that give an advantage? And is that kind of giving birth to a new kind of species that is going to take, take off uh, from the rest of those people? So is, th- is this uh, also slightly elitist even to think this way? I mean, look, um, certainly the answer to your question is yes. And uh, my uh, perspective on this is that it's going to happen anyway, so I might as well take uh, part of this and uh, make sure that I can have influence in society in the future. And I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about normative um, judgments of whether it's elitist or not. But um, Certainly, this is going to happen because human society is also very much geared towards a winner-take-all structure um, in terms of rewards and in terms of power. And technology, I think, generally consolidates that further um, and drives further inequality. And in that situation, people who have a small incremental advantage, especially ones that they have developed over a significant period of time, will be able to gather more and more resources, reinvest more and more of that into their own health. And I think, you know, looking at it from a kind of Silicon Valley technology CEO type person today, if I am competing, everything else being equal with someone who doesn't sleep well, who doesn't have doctors that prescribe him modafinil and testosterone and all those things that give you not just energy, but the ability to persuade other people better. If I'm competing with that person, they're going to lose. And more, even more long-term, the uh, people who don't do this over the decades, who don't compound all of those uh, advantages that biohacking really gives are going to fall behind. That is definitely going to happen. And the acceleration of technology, which is definitely happening, is going to make uh, this process faster, faster, and faster. Hmm. Plus, so- you know, once we once we really get into that whole uh, discussion of mind uploading and being able to buy a data center that part of your consciousness runs in and doing all of that, that is going to only accelerate. And who's going to be in a position to um, buy data centers to run part of their brain? Well, it's certainly going to be people who uh, will have hmm. the resources, the inclination, the knowledge, the motivation, and all of those things biohacking leads the lays the foundation for today absolutely it lays a foundation and it lays a foundation for competition i mean competition and cooperation have been the two means through which human species have got things done and what you're describing here is the competition aspect and how it kind of uh, enables some people to compete more than others and definitely coming from silicon valley that's a very competitive environment so what does our anthropologist seem say about what's being said so far well yeah i have to agree with sergio as well like it's it's the harsh truth that uh, there's gonna be an arms race in terms of uh people having access to these different biotech and uh, supplements and things like that 
but uh, you know, it is a very painful, painful uh, subject because humans are, you know, some people they may not want to upgrade themselves as much as the others would, are, uh, and uh, it raises the question of, you know, if uh, if if the other people who who um, aren't willing to upgrade themselves that much, they're going to be left behind in this sense, and they're indeed maybe develop this sort of a chasm or uh, distinct uh, castes like Tim mentioned so, so but at the same time it's also like uh, it's all this kind of w wanting or the willingness to upgrade ourselves or to evolve is kind of geared in our physiology and into our psyche as well and like it's 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 a, it's the natural process i believe of, of of a species to want to you know grow and evolve and develop themselves in these different domains as to not only ensure their survival but to also, yeah, live, l cause less suffering, you know, cure some of the other issues that uh, we face as a species at the moment, you know, like, I don't know, a lot of these diseases and uh, aging itself. Hmm. I, I believe that biohacking is part of solving many of those problems that humanity faces right now. So thank you very much, Seem, for jumping in uh, and throwing in your ideas about biohacking. We're going to continue with Surge. And if anyone is online listening to this, you're welcome to ask questions on our Facebook chat. Uh, uh, be generous. Uh, I already see there is a question from Thomas Axnes about sleep. I think we're going to uh, revisit that question once we get into Serge's um, sleep data. Um, uh, so I'm going to pull out here. Uh, I'm just going to take that away and I'm going to pull out some Serge's data. So here is Serge and his body weight changes as well as body fat changes. So uh, since 2013, when he started measuring these things, he has come significantly down in 2017 in terms of body fat percentage. He's been able to increase his his muscle mass and uh, in comparison to his body 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 mass. So you have done quite a uh, transformation that has not been just temporary but sustainable. Uh, so has this only been about the gym or is there something else going on here? I think uh, there's, if um, we're talking specifically about uh, body fat, there's been a number of things that really helped um, improve it. One is gym and gym the right way, because there's really uh, a lot of people spend time running on the treadmill for an hour. That doesn't actually help you with uh, your body fat because, as everyone knows, you just burn, you know, like half a piece of candy by running an hour. Uh, so what you do want to be doing in terms of exercise is, first of all, high-intensity interval training. So read up about that online. And secondly, hip hit exercise like deadlifts, squats, etc., cetera, uh, because those activate the largest number of muscle cells, so they have the largest amount of metabolic benefit. A second component is sleep. Without good sleep, your hormonal systems are going to be out of whack and you're not going to be able to uh, lose fat. The third component is of course nutrition. And there the question is not eating fewer calories. Uh, the idea that, uh, that fat uh, gain uh, depends purely on the number of calories you eat and number of calories you consume is a, um, is um, a very persistent myth, but it is false. So there's been a number of experiments where they fed people the same number of calories of fat 
of protein and of uh, sugar to three different groups of people. And basically people who eat fat lose fat, people who eat sugar significantly gain fat. You don't want to sugar, it's, um, it's highly addictive and this has probably been the hardest thing for me to consistently get rid of. But sugar has a lot of negative consequences, obviously to your uh, body fat through uh, stimulating significant insulin response, but also sugar preferentially feeds um, cancer cells. It's called the Warburg hypothesis, and there's a number of other uh, issues that uh, uh, sugar makes worse as as well. Aside from that, uh, there's been a number of uh, medical interventions that helped me further lose body fat. Uh, one is metformin. So metformin is a drug for diabetics that is currently being explored by the FDA of the United States as an anti-aging drug. And it basically reduces the amount of glucose in your blood further, even if you um, already do not eat uh, sugar. The other thing that has helped uh, lose body fat is uh, hormones. So I naturally uh, have um, quite low IGF-1, uh, low enough to a point that I would want to raise it, although lots of people want to actually reduce it because there's some, some trade-offs there. It's a complex subject. But you can take uh, things like growth hormone, and if your IGF-1 is in fact quite low, then you will have gains to your body. Um, uh, body fat uh, profile. I think these are the biggest issues. And I found that every time I made one of those changes, they didn't all come at the same time. There was like a step function in terms, mm -hmm. of, um, in terms of my body fat. So I'll hit some kind of plateau, then cut out sugar, and that drops further. Then add metformin, that drops a little bit uh, further. So that's as far as uh, body fat. I think body fat is more than just a, an aesthetic thing in uh, wanting to have a six pack, but it's more uh, that body fat is um, a symptom of insulin resistance and of um, metabolic issues. So um, you really do want to uh, get it as, as low as you can. I see. I see. So um, uh, let's see. Let's see if you can see this. So on your blog post, you're talking about sleep hygiene, optimal nutrition, optimal exercise, mental health, and medical tests and supplements and drugs. Uh, you definitely uh, are quite open when it comes to uh, what you're getting into your system. So it can be also a pharmaceutical drug uh, and could be also natural dietary interventions. So then people might have a question. So how does this affect your body? I mean, what's, what's the longevity markers? And here's from your article is some of your uh, cardiac risk um, uh, factors and, and all-cause mortality risks. Um, and what you're basically saying here is there is a bunch of different um, causative agents when it comes to, um, uh, to increased risk for death. And you've been able to kind of manage some of those risk factors. Is that right? Uh, essentially. So for me in general, aging is not a major consideration. The reason for that is that for... Um, after looking at the trends in uh, uh, aging patterns uh, across the world, including the developed world, and looking especially at um, very high income populations, um, I've concluded that even without significant technologies and without new technologies and without 
biohacking interventions. Uh, my expected lifespan is going to be around 110 years old. And if we think about it, so I was born in 1985. Uh, by the time it is 2095, there's going to be a very significant gain in uh, biomedical technologies. In fact, it's going to happen much earlier than that. In fact, I think the singularity is going to happen before then, and we'll all be able to upload and live forever in the cloud. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, I already have immortality. So I don't really care about, um, uh, I don't really care about life extension. Uh, my um, primary purpose in all of this at this point is really performance uh, optimization and making sure that I can perform at a really high level over the next 50 uh, years or, uh, or so, because I, mm. I believe that that is roughly the horizon over which a lot of um, future technologies and the singularity are going to play out. I want to play a major part in that. So my objective is to build one of the platforms that are going to enable the singularity. So I really invest into all of this in order to gain in performance today and over the next 50 years. I don't care at all about whether you know uh, my risk of Alzheimer's is uh, managed uh, 80 or 90 years from today mm. or as opposed to 60 years from today because as far as I'm concerned, the path of technological progress makes that a complete non-issue. By I the way, see. I'm somewhat surprised as to how much um, the biohacking community is focused on longevity specifically. I think that it is kind of like almost a waste of time um, if you understand the trends in exponential technology. Mm. So, so what you are saying effectively here is that you believe that exponential technologies are going to advance at a trajectory that makes many of the issues that we are looking at today, like cancer and diabetes and Alzheimer's disease, all of these things, we will find new and more advanced ways to treat and deal with them. Uh, so if that's the case, like, I mean, if you think of your age, like um, how many years do you give to this? So if I'm 60, um, there's probably a little bit less time for getting into this escape trajectory in terms of uh, longevity uh, compared to someone like you and me who are, who are uh, kind of on our, on our early 30s. This is a very uh, difficult question because obviously no one can really accurately forecast the specific dates of um, the development of future technologies. I think the gains will come constantly and incrementally. So it's not like a single step function. It is going to be constant gain that constantly, constantly staves off our aging and death. And then it will be a step function at some point where we replace our biological bodies with something else. Because I think, um, I, I don't have an illusion that my current uh, body because of its architecture and because of um, a lot of factors is going to survive longer than 150 uh, years, maybe 180 years at best. But uh, that's not even an issue because at some point we will either be able to replace and grow new bodies or we're going to hopefully abandon this shitty monkey architecture altogether. So, so, so what you're um, saying is that we don't need our bodies necessarily, but we could, we, do, we could transform into 
uh, an architecture that is more sustainable. I mean, when I discuss with some of the cardiologists uh, who, who really know about the anatomy of the human body, what they talk about is that there's a good reason why the human lifespan maximum is around 120 years. And it's partly is because of arterial um, uh, stiffening, uh, as well as um, the aorta getting uh, and stretching out like a rubber band. And there is no surgical method through which you could fix the heart from that kind of mechanical problem without causing scar tissue. And the scar tissue that could result from replacing your heart with a machine or with an with a organ transplant basically makes you lose some of the pressure in microveins and that damages first your kidneys and your brain. And, and for that reason, I mean, if you take care of your, your cardiac health and, uh, and you don't lose that pressure because of a bunch of stupid things that you do throughout your life, then you could potentially live to 120 years old. So what makes you say that we can live for 150 or 180 and how can we get there? Like, I believe that there's probably going to be some medical advancements and, and looking at the uh, at, the, at the rate of um, progress, probably we're going to get there. Um, so right now, uh, when I look at your data, uh, what I see there is, um, is for example, let's take over here. Um, uh, here's your arterial thickness. Uh, so you've been definitely being able to kind of make sure that as you age, you've been, you've been taking care of your arterial health. You've been taking care of your cholesterol levels. Uh, they're all in green uh, looking at the different particles. There's some work to do, but it's it's pretty good already. And um, looking at the inflam inflammation and inflammatory biomarkers. So probably you are on a good trajectory to 120. Uh, so so, so is, it, is this the, the kind of... Um, kind of the idea of that you would be able to simulate your consciousness in a computer that kind of makes the body completely obsolete? Or what is it that you are kind of seeing yourself evolving into that makes you escape some of the physical limitations that we have? Sure. So um, uh, let's um, run through a little thought experiment. The brain is highly plastic. And um, uh, we know this because people can, uh, people who lose their eyesight, they re- uh, they reallocate their visual cortex towards other senses, towards other work. Generally, the plasticity of the brain has been well established. Um, the key technology that is really barring us from being able to upload and being truly, truly immortal is um, atomically precise manufacturing and brain-computer interfaces. So uh, in order to build a functioning brain-computer interface that can read from your brain into a digital substrate and write back, you need to have sufficiently advanced nanotechnology that's going to be able to be constantly present at, uh, at a large share of the neurons and synapses in uh, your brain. There is a good amount of progress in that direction, and I don't see why uh, that's not going to be feasible in the next uh, 30 to 50 uh, years. And um, once you have that, you can create one digital neuron connect it to your brain and your brain will utilize it if it feels that it's uh, the same thing as a standard neuron. It will just use it in a plastic way. If you uh, can connect one neuron, you can connect a billion. If you can connect a billion, you can connect a satellite uplink and a data center full of neurons. And because, uh, let's keep in mind that um, 
the speed of data transmission in our brain is at peak about 120 meters per second. That's how fast the myelinated neurons in our brain pass, uh, pass through the electrical signals. Obviously, the speed of data transfer in electronics so if your satellite uplink into your data center is some fraction of the speed of light. So the latency of this additional component of your brain is going to be the same or lower than, uh, relative to the latency of the different parts of your brain uh, today. So if you have data centers all over the world that your brain is connected to through a satellite uplink and that's gradually expanded, they're going to be as much a part of you and as much a part of a whole organism that has a mm. single identity as your brain uh, is today. And I then see. Obviously, yeah. if you keep, so the last bit of that is you mm. keep expanding um, your neural capabilities um, with, with technology, then you start adding sensors, obviously. You add a couple cameras, then you add a couple bodies, and then you end up with this, this body, being 0.01% of the organism that uh, you really are. And then I, for one, plan to store it in a museum so that um, it doesn't get damaged because it's fragile and honestly, like it's not that good. Mm. So. Wow, wow, that was quite an explanation. Also a co explanation of potential ways through which we could get into collective mm -hmm. consciousness to get to... Um, what, what many people describe as that we are all connected and uh, this connectivity will just increase with our relationship with technology. So there's a question from one of our Facebook chats from Fran Ryder uh, on clarification on the term singularity. So what does singularity mean to you? Sure. So the singularity is um, a term that's been appropriated from physics, which basically means a point in the future where technology accelerates so fast that we cannot really make any uh, forecasts and any even understanding of what humanity is going to be uh, after that. The most popular conception of the singularity is when we upload our brains or when artificial general intelligence comes around and probably kills us all. Um, and uh, uh, the reason it's called the singularity is that it's a horizon beyond which uh, we cannot see because the pace of technology, if we upload and, you know, now our science is being done by these people who live in a hundred data centers around the world and who are vastly more intelligent, the kind of uh, technology and science that they will come up with, in, including to improve uh, their own capabilities to come up with new technology, is going to accelerate so fast that it's pointless to even think about what's going to happen because we're mm. not smart enough to understand those issues today and we, there's no way we can be. Mm. Would you be ready to upload yourself uh, into a computer simulation and let your body to not exist if you had the, the proof and the belief that this simulation is going to carry on just like you are? I don't think um, there's a need to separate the physical and the digital. So I see it not as a simulation, but I see it really as a different, um, a different substrate for the person that I am. So if you replicate um, your neurons, your memories, et cetera, in a digital substrate, and then you have additional physical bodies that you develop, 
you can run simulations in your mind, but you can also interact with uh, the real world. So I think um, it, it's hard to really think past that point. Certainly I will take advantage of the technology and be, I want to be one of the first people to hmm. take advantage of the technology. What happens after that is really not clear. I mean, I personally would like to use the immortality and super intelligence to really explore the universe and figure out how everything works, how galaxies work and also how string theory works and um, all of that, but it's, it's pure speculation. I think that's why I'm making the purpose of my life to get to that point and then we'll figure out what to do next. You certainly are ready to use all the means and, and the methods and, and, and that shows also in the work that you do. And that basically brings us to the research of the week that I'm going to run uh, right now. So let's, let's play, play the next video and let's discuss about the research of the week. So the research of the week is about lithium uh, and Surge is known for using uh, pharmaceutical drugs like metformin and lithium and, and a bunch of other things to enhance his uh, performance. That also includes microdosing a bunch of different things. Um, but uh, looking at lithium, uh, I, I, we just found this article. Um, from Nature magazine, a study published in 2015 in Nature magazine that aimed to determine whether it is warranted to progress uh, the development of Epsilon, which is uh, uh, basically, um, uh, it's, a, it's a pharmaceutical drug that mimics what lithium does in the body. And, um, uh, and, and they were looking into it with uh, 40 healthy participants with no history of any psychiatric disorder, 20 per group, in randomized double-blind placebo-controlled parallel group design. And so the, the article name is Effect of the Putative Lithium Mimetic Epsilon on Brain, Myo, Inositol, Sleep, and Emotional Processing in Humans. The interesting thing about lithium is that uh, it's known as an effective mood stabilizer for treatment of bipolar disorder, uh, but it is toxic at only twice the therapeutic dose and has many undesirable side effects like kidney and thyroid damage, muscle weakness, and so on. So you have to be very careful in, if, you, if you're going to dose on these things. And that's why it's not, generally speaking, used or recommended uh, because the so-called LD50, which is the, the level at which it gets toxic, is, is quite low. But it seems to have... Uh, quite the contrary, beneficial effects at low doses. So, so they've been trying to mimic the, the very same uh, means through, through different pharmaceutical interventions. So these participants were given uh, this Epsilon, which is a, a, a basically a lithium mimetic and a placebo um, three times a day. And uh, uh, what they found out that uh, the, this uh, pharmaceutical intervention affected emotional processes in those healthy participants uh, in a positive way. And um, it also shows that this, this intervention is, is, a, is something that could be described as an antioxidant. It inhibits several of the pro-inflammatory enzymes. And like lithium, is a neuroprotectant. So it can protect from 
uh, basically brain damage. And um, so, so my question to you, Serge, is about using these things. I mean, it's kind of like playing with fire. Uh, I mean, you're you're playing with things that have um, quite uh, quite close. Uh, effective dose versus toxicity. So if you look at the dose response curve and um, seem to have based on studies, uh, pretty uh, uh, significant benefits if you use them correctly. So, so, so what makes you go into this? Let's talk about lithium. So lithium uh, is taken by bipolar uh, disorder patients in the amount of about 1,000, 1,500 milligrams around that uh, kind of dose. Uh, we get in water on a daily basis about two milligrams, three milligrams uh, per, per day, depending on the area where uh, you live. I take, I personally take 100 to 150 milligrams of lithium per day, which um, has um, slightly, which has like very, very barely noticeable effects uh, on uh, mood stabilization and just uh, being more stress resilient and uh, etc. And appears to have a number of the neuroprotective uh, properties that uh, you have described. So I'm taking lithium in a dose which is about 10 times less than what they have been given giving millions of patients over decades uh, without, uh, you know, without significant uh, problems, you know, and then the toxicity is another 2x or something from that. So I think that as far as biohacking purposes, lithium really is very, very safe because taking 100 milligrams of lithium um, when the toxic dose is somewhere around 2,000, 3,000 uh, milligrams is, uh, you know, it's, it is quite safe. And I don't think for intelligence enhancement or for neuroprotective purposes, you would want to take a full bipolar type dose of lithium because that is going to severely press your central nervous system. Mm. In fact, uh, when I was speaking with my psychotherapist, who's a neurobiologist from Stanford, and with my um, main doctor, Peter Atia, who's uh, also quite well known in the biohacking community. Yeah, and a lot of long longevity research as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've, they've uh, when I was, we, we were brainstorming on what are the things that could conceivably have a material impact on human intelligence. Uh, there were really only two safe interventions and um, it was lithium in around this dosage and modafinil in uh, the dosage of about 200 uh, milligrams mm. per per day. So I don't think I'm playing with fire. A lot of people get um, freaked out by, oh, you're taking so many of these drugs or you're taking so many of these different uh, you know, supplements. But actually, we uh, are very conservative in uh, the dosages that we take and uh, you know, observing for side effects and uh, in integrating it carefully, watching for allergic reactions, et cetera. If you're stuck, you can do this quite well. 
I see, I see. Uh, let's take a look at your kidney values and liver values and so on to better understand uh, what kind of the result is of taking all these supplements. I mean, there's many handfuls that you get yourself into on a daily basis. So, so, so looking at the renal function, looking at the, the, the kidney function, what, you, what we see here is uh, pretty good markers, actually. So, you, so your creatinine levels is around 1%. Uh, and your Q-statin C, which, um, based on my knowledge, is even more accurate marker on kidney function, is 0.68. And, and so, so, so there's, um, I mean, on this same chart, you can see also some improvements that could be done in yeah. terms of uh, heart. I, I mean, the mitochondrial CoQ10. Uh, uh, but but like, what kind of like um, results have you seen in terms of like taking a bunch of supplements? Have you seen your liver values, kidney values, or cardiac values to be affected by this? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, actually, they've improved over time. So I, um, I post, um, I, I, from time to time, I post updates uh, to those. And uh, my, so my EGFR, which is a very popular measure for kidney function, it's actually in the top um, Three percent of uh, my own age group, despite all of these seventy pills I take every day, my ALT and AST, uh, these are liver function markers, right now are around thirteen, fifteen, which is uh, very, very, very good. So it doesn't. It fe- it seems that you know doing all of this in a smart way and also taking things that support the function of your liver and your kidneys and just taking care of them quite well um, mm. is, um, you know, quite, quite doable. So I don't really see, um, yeah, it, it's doable. So yeah. you just have to monitor this, understand your body, keep doing this for a long time and you can do it. Exactly. I mean, if you look at the uh, uh, cause, uh, risk factors for all cause mortality, um, I mean, there is all these, uh, things that you can get yourself into in terms of acute infections and uh, trauma. Uh, but then when we look at any kind of chronic chronic illness, behind that there seems to be inflammation, there seems to be uh, some organ failures also that often are actually related to uh, basically mistreatment with medications. Uh, but that could be also with uh, supplements. I mean, Many, many supplements, especially herbal supplements, are known to affect the kidneys and liver. So you're basically monitoring these markers and, and you are taking care of that you're not damaging yourself. Uh, do you remember, by the way, what your EGFR is, like the percentage? Do you have out of memory any, any, any remembrance? Well, it, it was in that flight slide that you uh, just uh, gave. It just says over 150, which um, is uh, significantly better... Yeah, uh, yeah, you can see it there in the previous results. That's uh, very good. Slide. You know, they're saying that optimal is over ninety, and this is significantly, significantly greater. So, I mean, yeah. in one of my new articles, I posted a um, chart where, and they don't really even have data on people whose EGFR is that high, um, because you know most people who come in to take blood tests are people who have problems, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can tell that my EGFR, because of all the biohacking, all the supplements that I have taken, have actually improved from around 68% uh, to uh, around 100. So 
there is something that I'm also doing right uh, for, for the last four years. I've been basically systematically being able to improve that value. And, and part of that is also probably because of detoxification of a bunch of things. And looking at your det- detoxification, you've been able to reduce uh, your blood mercury levels uh, quite uh, quite significantly. I think it's 0.01, which is kind of considered as the uh, maximum level after which you should be concerned a little bit on that. So you were a bit above of that. You've been able to fix that in a year and then even get that further down. And, and looking at your body and how it, how, how it gets um, basically influenced by a bunch of... Uh, xenoestrogens and a bunch of environmental toxins like benzene and all these things. So, so you probably are avoiding people who are smoking cigarettes and going to nightclubs and all these places where you get uh, yourself influenced to these things or maybe my, driving a motorcycle. So what are kind of the practical strategies that you, you, you take care of uh, to make sure that you are not like overloading yourself in addition to medication with a bunch of crap coming from your environment? Um, there's not very many things you can do about um, environmental toxins. There's some. Um, there's obviously, you know, if the best thing to do is to live in, I don't know, Sardinia or someplace like that, but um, mostly it's really hard to do that given other priorities in in life. So I try to make sure I do several basic things. Don't drink hot liquids out of plastic containers. Um, Don't smoke. Don't be next to people who smoke. And and by the way, so uh, the values that um, you were just showing, I tested those once after smoking some weed and you know it was um, it was like off mm. the charts bad so you know mm. it, all of that stuff is highly toxic and you don't want to have that um you can also test the air at home built uh, have better ventilation in places where uh where you are i don't know I, apparently sauna and things like that helps um, helps uh uh, get uh, detoxified to some extent, although I don't know enough. But I, I'm pretty sure that the Finnish people know much more about the sauna than I do. Well, so, well, well, the Russians also know it, Banja. That's you know, true. That's that's for sure. I mean, you guys have a pretty awesome culture as well when it comes so to. I, I just I, I don't I don't focus too much on the whole uh, detox aspect of things. I mean, I try not to stand next to things that stink uh, of whatever paint or benzene, etc. Et so it's just a matter of, uh, you know, trying to make better choices, trying to live in slightly better places. I really wish uh, someone developed uh, some kind of uh, nasal filter that would work well and not look like I'm about to rob, rob a bank. Uh, I would wear it all the time in, um, in cities, but uh, there's nothing out there so far. Yeah, I, I actually noticed uh, a device that you can use in an airplane that increases the amount. Of, it's kind of like a mask that you put on. I can probably throw that into the show notes once I dig it up. But basically a yeah. mask, mask that you put on to increase the humidity and that, that could potentially also filter out the air uh, in the cabin. And it's notoriously known that certain airplanes, I mean, they circulate a bunch of exhaust fumes uh, from, from the burned out petrol right. uh, back but, into the cabin. 
the challenge the challenge with these things is just that um you know it's um these things look so weird i would want to wear it uh on a regular basis when i'm in a polluted city but you know walking down the streets in something that looks like bane's respirator from batman i mean i don't particularly want to do that although um uh, I, I'm pretty sure if I were living in, let's say, Beijing, I would say, you know, fuck what I want to do. I'm just gonna do. I'm just gonna wear Bane's respirator in order to save myself. Yeah. Uh, let's let's take a look at your uh, ba- basically your insurance uh, uh, that you personally subscribe to, which is your supplement stack. Uh, I assume that here on the green you have the stuff that has uh, a lot of studies that that these are actually pretty good things to take and and the more um the 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 more light colored ones are the things that there is not necessarily that much uh studies and results for is that right what's going on here yeah that's essentially the case this was i asked my um, doctors peter tia's uh, team he has a team of researchers that help him go through uh studies and review the existing data. So I asked them to take a look at all the compounds that um, that uh, I have been taking. And essentially the green ones are the ones that have a good uh, basis and should definitely be taken. Uh, the light green ones are, uh, you know, if, if you don't care about the money and the organization, take them. And then the gray ones are probably placebo or not enough data that they found on uh, on them. I take them anyway because there's not much downside and I kind of see... First of all, I think the placebo effect is a great effect because you get value out of nothing. You can take uh, you know something uh, that uh, doesn't have any effect whatsoever, but if you believe that it does, it's going to make your life somewhat better. The placebo effect is a very yeah. well-replicated yeah. uh, effect in science. So yeah. a lot of people say, oh, some of the stuff you take is placebo. It's like, yes, that's part of the point. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, probably having a medical team working on you and having all this data and showing the results probably also adds on the placebo effect. So looking exactly. at looking at this stack, what, what kind of I see immediately, there's a bunch of things that seem to help mitochondrial function. So when it comes to uh, your ability to crank out ATP and energy throughout the day, there is all these things that support those pathways. There's also a bunch of things that support uh, kind of uh, ways to deal with uh, hormones and balance out hormones, as well as things that help you to balance uh, the gut uh, so probiotics, prebiotics, and, and all those things. So, so this seems like a pretty good stack here, and you're throwing a lot of pills down your throat, so it doesn't show in your kidneys or your liver. So, so there is no argument that you can't take this much of supplements each day, but definitely should follow on your liver values because everyone is unique. Everyone responds slightly differently on these the things. Only, uh, the only thing I noticed um, out of all these supplements is that I developed an allergy to, uh, like a sensitivity, not allergy, but sensitivity to gelatin uh, mm. because um, of all the capsules. So that was, that ah. was pretty funny. Oh, but, gelatin, uh, gelatin issues. Nice. They even help. Uh, so, for example, milk thistle is a supplement that is well demonstrated to support liver function. So, um, some of these supplements are are helping that as well. Yeah, yeah, milk thistle is great. I also also use that occasionally. Um, looking at uh, uh, sleep, um, 
you've been optimizing your sleep quality. Um, you have quite a lot of deep sleep that you're getting, uh, and I, I guess your uh, your your data also showed pretty good like averages for REM sleep. So, what's the secret in your case that has uh, kind of helped you to improve your sleep quality? So, your onset to sleep as well as uh, the depth of sleep. There's uh, several things. Well, first of all, I highly recommend everyone read a book called Why We Sleep. It's uh, just uh, a new book that came out. It was uh, authored by the head of the Berkeley Sleep Lab. It's an amazing book, amazing book. Uh, one of the best just books that I've read and a lot of uh, uh, sleep-related uh, information, experiments uh, from the cutting edge. But um, the key things that help sleep are, the biggest one is sleeping at the same time every day. Uh, or roughly at the same time and not shifting by very much. So if you think about it, um, as you dig in, and this is why you should read the book, when you shift uh, the times of your sleep, you uh, change uh, your uh, adenosine sleep pressure cycle and your uh, circadian rhythm uh, sleep cycle go out of sync. And as a result, you lose some of the stages of sleep uh, significantly. So sleep is a very active uh, state. It's not really actually resting. It's uh, something where your body is actively maintaining, repairing, cleaning lots of your, um, lots of the different machinery, uh, cellular machinery in your body. So you want to make sure that um, you do this maintenance uh, very, very well. So I, I would prioritize it. Uh, the second bit is just sleeping lots. I think um, uh, one has to actually sleep at least seven, seven and a half hours a day, which you really sleep. And what that means is that you spend in bed eight, eight and a half hours. I try to spend more than that. I try to hit eight hours of sleep, which is eight hours, 45 minutes uh, of time in bed. I try to wear orange glasses, like the ones that uh, you're wearing. I obviously track with Aura. I love uh, Aura. Uh, I saw that um, your friend, I forgot his name, that he had an yes, Aura yeah. as well. So what else? Uh, I'm, aside from that, sleep is one of those things that's both a cause and the consequence of all the other things that um, I'm spending time and effort on. So, um, so think about it this way. If you sleep well, you're going to have the discipline to exercise and to eat well, and uh, you're going to have better mental health. You will be less frustrated. And if you exercise and you take care of your mental health, you will sleep better as well. So all of these things, they really have to go together. They have to, uh, you know, yeah, they, they have to go together. And you have to make sure that uh, sleep is a very, very significant priority in your life. Like, yeah. If you cut sleep in order to do something, like because you don't have time to do whatever homework or work or something, uh, count how much time you spend procrastinating per day because you haven't slept well. And then consider maybe you should just, instead of procrastinating for an hour, you should spend that hour sleeping and you won't procrastinate. So oh, pretty obvious to me. That's a lot of good advice. So when you get more tired, it's more easy that you get into procrastination mode where you browse your phone for no apparent reason. And, and kind of following your sleep um, data coming from devices like the Aura Ring. Uh, so if we get the camera to show so this, show this ring. So I have the new Aura Ring here. Um, uh, that's coming out just now. It's going to be sent out to 
the pre-orders and Aurora sent me this uh, for review. And I can say that the new app and the new ring is fantastic. And this, if anyone wants to get their hands on this, uh, you can go to orring.com and you can use the code uh, BLS. So Biohackers Live Show, BLS, uh, that gives you a 75 US dollar discount on, on that Thank one. you for uh, telling me that you already got the new ring because I, I think I sold like 500 of their rings and I'm still waiting for mine. So I'm going to shake yeah. uh, shake the guys down for it right now. Yeah, I guess uh, I got the advantage of being in the country where they built the prototypes and, and the, the actual kind of shipping and the actual uh, set of rings are, are from the manufacturing are coming out uh, just now and they're starting shipping them to international to everyone. So, so um, I can assure you, Serge, that it's awesome and you will get your hands on it. Uh, latest at the Bikers Summit uh, where the guys are also exhibiting, Aura uh, is coming to Bikers Summit. Um, Serge is going to be there. I'm going to be there. Seamland is going to be there. Go to bikersummit.com, check out the Stockholm event, code FAGWET, uh, gives you 10% off on the tickets. If you can't come in person, there's also a live stream that you can watch. You can follow us live as well. And uh, uh, now, uh, where I want to get ourselves into is, is kind of closer to the ending of the show. There's still one segment that uh, I want to get us into, which is... Uh, our app of the week, which is basically how you can look at your biomarkers more in detail. Um, so, yeah, by the way, the new Aura app, uh, I'm going to show it just quickly for anyone who's interested. Uh, so you can see your readiness index and your sleep, and you can dive deeper into sleep, for example, and can, you can see the sleep components. So I got like an hour of deep sleep and over four hours of REM sleep. Uh, that looks pretty good. My resting heart rate uh, was down to 47 last night. And looking at my readiness index. I've been traveling all week. I was giving a TEDx talk in London and, and that hurt some of my readiness. I'm, I'm recovering now. I'm back in business and my heart rate variability is up to the hundreds. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty good now. Um, looking at the lab results. Um, so, so there is this app called Wellness FX. So if you get your blood work done, and you want to analyze them, you want to upload them to your phone, you can actually sign up for free at uh, WellnessFX. And uh, looking at the kidney function that I mentioned earlier, so here is some of my, my kidney results and looking at the EGFR. So I've been, as you can see, I've been able to improve that over uh, a period of time. And, and this is a pretty nice app because if you do your lab test wherever you do it in the world, if you're in the US, you can use WellnessFX. If you are somewhere else, you can just go to wellnessfx.com. You can upload your values. Sometimes you need to use a conversion to get the results in the right US kind of way. Uh, and, and then you can look at them on your phone. So, so that's pretty cool. Now, if you don't know what these lab results or uh, 
uh, or, or markers mean. So if you do a lot of these tests on your own and uh, you're still kind of uh, struggling what EGFR means, there's this app called LabGear. And LabGear enables you to look at the different biomarkers. So if you look at something like, yeah, let's look at kidneys. And let's say Sustatin C that I mentioned earlier is a more accurate marker for kidney function. And, and you want to learn more about it, you can, you, can, you can use this app to kind of uh, look at some of the uh, analysis that they have, as well as look into the research articles in PubMed. And you can look at the Wikipedia page and you can look at a bunch of other things uh, for additional resources. So if you want to go into, let's say, uh, looking at your cardiovascular um, markers, uh, you want to look at, let's see, um, blood values. Let's go here. Yeah, vitamin B12, for example, or your transferring values. So, so these kind of apps are pretty useful for it. Uh, I found LabGear to be the easiest. There is also something called LabTests Plus, and LabTests Plus is it looks pretty similar. So you can look at cardiac tests. So let's look at cardiac tests. We can look at uh, uh, CRP or, or creatine kinase uh, that kind of shows if there is any kind of recent damage that also actually increases with uh, exercise. So you can look at the results, what they're telling about uh, these lab values here. So, um, search. What, what do you use to, you know, analyze your own lab results? How do you keep track of them? I mean, I mean, kind of, uh, do you combine them in a certain way or? Uh, I mostly just uh, use Excel plus, um, Excel plus uh, my doctor has a standardized set of tests that he runs by now and I go through it uh, with him. I think, um, yeah, I, I already have a very good understanding where, of where my different markers are. So by this point, it's really about optimizing a specific set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some biohackers out there, uh, when it comes to sleep, for example, they say that you can sleep less once you start biohacking and keeping your inflammation down. I guess Dave is one of those. Um, who has promoted the idea that you can use modafinil and just go on and kick ass and all that stuff. Have you noticed some changes in your markers as you run your busy lifestyle if you are not sleeping enough? Um, um, not in the markers because, I mean, we don't really test frequently enough. I mean, right now, the barrier to do all this 100, 150, 200 blood tests is, is, uh, is high because you have to actually go somewhere uh, call a phlebotomist. You cannot do this more than a couple times a month. Uh, you know, it, it costs a bunch of money and it's not that uh, useful. So I look forward to when we're going to be able to test analytes in uh, real time in a non-invasive uh, way, kind of like what, uh, you know, Dexcom is doing for continuous glucose uh, monitoring. But yeah. to answer your question, I mean, on sleep, I just subjectively feel worse if I don't sleep uh, enough. So I really try to make it a high priority. Plus, there's just a lot of evidence that sleep, uh, if you don't sleep, that kind of has damage, which accumulates uh, over time and uh, really makes uh, your body and your mind perform worse. So why would I, why would I uh, shortchange on that? So really the only times my sleep goes bad is if... Um, 
if uh, I travel transatlantic or if at some point, you know, I occasionally do an all night party with close friends. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. So I think I'm going to let you go and, and do your work so that you don't lose your sleep tonight. And uh, so for me also to be able to go to sleep earlier. So it's around 10 o'clock here. Um, thank you very much so far. And uh, we, we're going to continue the discussion uh, at Biker Summit in Stockholm. So Serge is going to be an opening keynote there. It's going to be 18th of May. You can use the code FAGWET for 10% off. There's also a live stream that you can use the code for. Uh, you get the recording package. You get everything that, you know, Serge dives deeper into, as well as what Seamland is up to, plus 27 other keynotes uh, of in, in optimal human performance, uh, health and well-being and fitness. So check it, check it out. And... Uh, uh, so, Serge, where can people find more information about you? So, I blog on Medium. I write uh, very occasionally, but uh, my blog posts are like three, five minutes. In. So, you've gone over one of them, which was about biohacking. I just wrote another one a couple months ago, which goes very deeply into enhancement of intelligence. So, just search for my name. And you'll find my blog on Medium and uh, you can read it. Let me know what you think. So, yeah. Um, and I look forward to seeing people at uh, this event. Awesome. Thank you, Serge. Cool. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for jumping in. So, uh, with that, uh, check out Serge um, uh, Faguet, Extreme Biohacker. Uh, the show notes you can find at biohack.to slash search. And you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube, Biker Summit and Biker's Handbook. Check it out. We're also on Instagram for Biker Summit. And we're going to be posting a bunch of interviews as we go forward. Uh, and with that, I thank you all for jumping into the show. And I wish you a healthy, optimized rest of the week i know it's labor's day in some parts of the world some have had just king's day you're probably recovering from a bunch of things and you're ready for gearing for the spring and i'm definitely ready for it so with that uh i wish you all a super awesome healthy next chapter of your life hopefully you got something out of this interview search Fagwet. <laughs>